This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. If you'll stand with me, we'll read verses 3 to 14 together and then look at the 13 to 14 and dive in. And it reads like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. For even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace with which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ, a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. You may be seated. Bless your name, Lord. You're good. Yes, he is so good. So good, so good. Let's look inside. Verses 13 and 14, as we get ready to go into this. 13 and 14, let me look at it again. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So we get to verse 13, and we see a a small change in verbiage that's actually a big change, right? You see, since we started Ephesians, working our way through from verse 1 to 12, Paul uses terms like we, us, and ours. All the way through, we, us, our, we, we, us, ours. And then in verse 12, he, he gives some definition to that, that we. Pastor Aaron was talking about it last, last week, this definition that he gives to the we. And he says, we who were the first to hope in Christ. Now, the moment that he does that, the moment that he says, we who are the first to hope in Christ, he, he ties a whole bunch of historical baggage and history to this we. He connects a whole bunch of stuff into it. The moment he says, we who are the first to hope in Christ, he's connecting a history to this thing. Right. 
Now, every time he said we, leading up and now to now, the, the, the we and the hour was filled with, with, with the, the we who were in bondage in Egypt. We who were delivered by God in a mighty way out of that bondage. We who were wandering in the wilderness for generations. We who were focused upon group and God's story throughout the entire Torah, the Old Testament. We, who the promises of God was given directly to as a people, including the promise of a king, Messiah, and his kingdom. We, who repeatedly suffered at the hand of Gentiles as we waited for this king and his kingdom. This is all of the the history that's tied into it when he says, we who were the first. All of that is tied into that, right? And even thinking all the tension that they experienced with Gentiles, like by Gentiles we mean everybody else who who wasn't them. Now you got to understand the the tension that's here and and how things played out and how their views saw the shape because the the, the painful experiences that they had at the hand of, of Gentiles produced this racial bitterness. And then since they viewed all of these promises and blessings from God more about them than God, then they, they, their views produced racial pride. So both of these things is going on, and, and they're waiting, and they're waiting for the kingdom of God. They're waiting for their promised Messiah. And while they was waiting, they, they broke out into sects and groups, and, and they started to, 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 to jot down and write down who would be in the kingdom with them. And some of the people that wouldn't be in the kingdom. And it's weird when you think about some of the people, because some of the people in some sects were, were like people that had um, blemishes and people that were sick. And, 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 but, but in all the sects, the people that was always on the outside of being in were Gentiles. To include them with just feel unjust after all the things that they suffered. And, and, and then, listen, by the way, listen, his promises went to us, not them. It wouldn't make sense to include them inside of, of, of what's going to happen with us. And this, this history that they had, this history that's tied into the, the we and the hour, this history was a part of their ethnic identity as a people, like they prided in it. We went through all this, but, but we are God's people. Even as the Messiah came, this we still carried on. And, 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 and he's like, we who, who, when the promised Messiah finally came to usher in his kingdom, not only came directly to this we, but as one of this we. All this is tied in. But then he does something very intentional as he makes this distinction in between verses 12 and 13. You see, up until this point, up until verse 12, he is laying out the history of God's people. Then in verse 13, he says, you also. 
He says, you also, but he's talking to a group of Gentiles and Jews. And he says, you also, and to this group of Gentiles and Jews who culturally should be at odds with one another because of this historical tension. But he says, you also, and in doing that, he was uniting them together in the story. All this story and all this back." drop and all the thing that was in it when we said uh, we who were the first and now he says you also and he connects the you also with the history of we who was the first now your history is a part of my history and my history is a part of your history together distinctly as the people of God a unite a unique history Why? Because this uniting was done before the beginning of time, and Paul is merely drawing attention to it. Now, when he goes into verse 14 and he says, we and our in verse 14 and the rest of Ephesians, it embodies this whole thing of the togetherness, the the people of God that's drawn from all over the place that we didn't even know was there. Sort of like, like, Finding out someone you viewed as an enemy or just not connected to your story was actually a distant relative that's been separated because of family drama. And the, and the reason the truth is now coming to light is because there's a family inheritance and a steward of the inheritance has been entrusted with the task of finding the family members, be it near or far, and given the mission of bringing the family together to discuss the details of the inheritance. The reason why is so Important for Paul to to push into this as, as, as even an overarching theme of Ephesians and for us to constantly echo what we see here inside the scripture is so that we understand what the, the, the practical walking out of this plan that's stated in verse 10 when he talks about the uniting of all things in him. This is not just a theological construct. There's, there's boots to this thing and there's rubber that meets the road to this thing and there's tension to this thing. This is what it looks like enemies become united with one another. Which brings me to point number one. God's first step of uniting all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth is uniting his family in Christ. Establishing them as united members of his kingdom in heaven and a diverse expression of his image on earth. There's a family affair here. There's a thing that's going on. He's on the mission and and his first deal is to unite his family. So he makes us members of his family and then sends us out to find more members of the family. And how do we do that? How does he send us out to find more members? 
by communicating the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. And we are talking and we're communicating this word of truth by what we say and what we do, how we live and how we love. You can't separate the two from each other. This is how we're talking and we're communicating the word of truth, how we weeping with those that weep and, and how we, what we stand for and what we say no to and, and, and how we move about our lives and our everyday things. All of this communicating the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation by how we love one another. All of this is talking and, and communicating this word of truth. He reveals to us the mystery and then makes us stewards of the mystery. Also that he could unite the family. I went out um, with my family the other day to, to watch Black Panther. It was a good movie. Real good move, yeah. You know, shit clap was dope, right? And now, and I'm just, I'm a movie head. I love movies, and, and I'm just on up because when I watch movies, it's like I always see something that's like I'm connecting the gospel somewhere. Like, don't watch the movie with me because afterwards I'm like, yo, look at all these gospel themes I've seen. People are like, you saw that. But I see a lot of things all the time, and I'm, and I'm watching the movie, and, and, and in the movie, it, it puts a, a, a focus on the, this, this kingdom called Wakanda, right? I'm not going to give no spoilers, but I just want you to know this backdrop, this normal little things. The kingdom called Wakanda, now there, they were all like a family. It was all a, a, a family. They loved one another. They lived in harmony with one another. They even had family tensions, but it was all a family. And the land of Wakanda was, was richly blessed with resources. And any member of the Wakanda family inherited access to these blessings that were lavishly stored up in the kingdom. And he had this unique way that you could tell who was a part of the family. This unique way, this, this, that every member of the family had this, this mark that served as a seal that would identify them as a fellow Wakandan. And I'm looking at that and I'm saying, man, this reminds me of verse 13. It says, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Right. Now, still... A seal locks things in and it keeps it secure, right? But another thing with the, the historical backdrop of what's going on here, a seal is a, a mark or a symbol attached to something of extreme importance that others can see. Yep. And a seal has at least, at least three purposes that, that's important I want to highlight today. One, Whatever is bearing the seal has the approval of the person that placed the seal. That's important to understand. If you, um, um, you want to drive in the state of Arizona, you go and you take the test and you drive on the road. You try not to kill people and you pass the test, right? 
And then they give you this license, and on the license is the seal of the state of Arizona saying that the state of Arizona has approved you to legally drive in the state of Arizona. And God places his his spirit on us as believers saying that you have been approved by him as members of his family. This is something to get and grasp when we think about the Holy Spirit. Another thing about a seal is a seal carries the authority of the person that placed the seal. That's why why police officers have badges, right? Because that badge acts like a seal, giving them the authority to uphold the laws of the state. If an emperor sends a letter of important instructions, he places his seal on it, giving the messenger the authority to deliver it. And then the instructions are that when they receive, they received with the authority of the emperor because of the seal. In Matthew 28 and 18. Jesus had died, and he, he, he raised again from the grave, and, and he's meeting with his disciples, and he's going to leave again, but he's given them this final commission. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He lets them know that, and then he gives them their mission. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Go, all nations. He says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, which is the word of truth. The gospel of our salvation. And then he says, behold, uh, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then he leaves, but he can say that and be true because later he will literally live inside of them with his spirit. Now that authority was dwelling on the inside of them. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit that living seal gives us the authority of God to work as agents of the kingdom of God, participating in the mission of God. Right, right. Oh, you got to check for the seal. Another thing is a seal was a sign of authenticity. It said this thing was authentic. I remember back in, in my hood when we was growing up, there was a whole string of counterfeit $20 bills that was going around, right? All over. And all the bodegas inside the hood knew it, right? So you couldn't come inside it with a $20 bill without the guy going like this. And he's looking for something because, because it, 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 it looks like it has the authority of a $20 bill to pay for these things. It, it looks like it has the, 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 the approval of a, of a $20 bill to pay for these things. But he's looking for the seal. Because if he doesn't see the seal, it's not authentic. It doesn't have the approval and it doesn't have the authority. It's worthless. See, many people will try to present something that looks like it's approved by God and that it appears to walk in his authority, but without the Spirit of God, it is inauthentic. I don't care how deep it is. I don't care if it moves you in a way that you want to move. I don't care if it says all the right things. If it's not attached to the Spirit of God, it is inauthentic. The seal is there for a reason. 
That's why we got to be careful with attaching ourselves to movements and things that the seal of the Spirit of God is not on. You can't track with everything. But it leads me to point number two. The Holy Spirit is God's seal of approval, authority, and authenticity on those that genuinely believe. You need to know this. Now, we live in a time when people can be swept away by theology and, and personalities and things that, that tickle the ever, eardrums and everything gets labeled a thing of God and we rarely check the mark of authenticity. But according to this is the Spirit of God. That's the seal. Now, sometimes people hear messages like this and they start asking questions to themselves. Like, man, do, do I have the Spirit then? Now, am I, am the Spirit really living inside of me? They start comparing themselves to others and giftings that they see in others and trying to, 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 to weigh some things because they want to understand, well, do I really have the Spirit of God then? Even some camps have developed practices that you do to, to receive the Spirit, to, to get the Spirit to come onto you. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it for long enough, the right way and loud enough, and I'm going to get them. Some feel rejected and, and overlooked because they don't have certain things, the things that everybody says was the sign. I want you to get the, the heart of this text because that is not the nature of what Paul is doing here. He's not, he's, he's, he's making a statement. He's not asking a question. He's making a statement. He's saying, the moment you genuinely believe, this happens. It happens the moment you genuinely believe. And I get it. We do have to check ourselves and we do have to check one another. The problem is some have not genuinely believed. What they're trying to pass off is genuine faith in Christ is merely them attempting to use Christ as a tool of self-worship. Yeah, I get it. But he's not trying to get into that right now. What he's doing is assuring the people that they have the Spirit if they genuinely believed. Right. He, he wants them to get it. And some of you inside here may, may be wondering that same thing. And it's like, don't measure yourself to others. And don't listen if you genuinely believe. If you're concerned about it like this, there's only one reason you'll be so concerned. He's in you. And he's moving you to desire more of him. And even as you desire more of him, more of him isn't like, let me like, get you to give me more. He's giving you all of him. It merely looks like you dying to self more. Yes. 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 That's my hope they're affirming you today. You have the spirit if you genuinely believed. While encouraging you to surrender to, your, to, 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 to yourself more to him. Yes. Less of me and more of you. Yes. Then in 14 he says, the Lord gives all this to him. To us. He says, the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. 
The guarantee. This is the guarantee here. Let me give you the guarantee until we acquire possession of it. Now, week after week, we can come up here and try to, to help you to understand what the inheritance is, but the reality of it, no matter how much we come and try to, to explain it, we will never exhaust the reality of it. Because that inheritance is so great and so dense and so big. The best thing I could do is say it's like inheriting a piece of land with many rich things naturally stored up on the land for your benefit. And the richness is so abundant, you can never exhaust it. So the kingdom of God is that inheritance with every spiritual blessing stored up in there for us and we can never exhaust it. I can never explain it enough. But the Holy Spirit is our guarantee of this inheritance, which you will one day fully possess. He said, let me give you a bit of it now by living inside of you myself, and then one day you will fully possess the whole of it. Uh This is guaranteed. It's down payment. A guarantee is like a promise. It's like, it's a down payment. It's like you want to buy a house for $200,000 and you give a a $20,000 down payment. But the thing is, that example falls short because typically the reason why you're giving the down payment is because you don't have all the money to pay for the whole thing right now. So you give a portion of it, and you're working to get the rest of it and give it along the way. That's not God's situation. He has all of it right now. He only intentionally gives it and then stretches it out for the fullness of time to give it to you. The question is, why does he give a down payment and not the whole thing up front? Why the fullness of time? Well, that leads me to point number three. The Lord is using the fullness of time as a missional tool in gathering and conditioning his family, the planet, and all of existence to receive the full, the full payment of the kingdom. He gives himself the spirit as a guarantee that he, that we, that he will fulfill his mission, equipping us to participate with them while we wait. He's saying, I'm going to stretch this thing out. And while I'm continuing to find more family members, I'm sending you out, but I'm giving you a portion of it right here, right now. And that portion of it is me, myself. And I'm living inside of you. And I'm giving you the power to be my people on this earth and live and represent my kingdom on this earth. But you get some of it right now, but not all of it. But you will get all of it. And I'm stretching it out to give time to find more family members, to get them all in, to cultivate and shape and to mold. Connecting you to all this thing because he, Paul said it's the promised Holy Spirit. Right. And even when he says promised, that promise was giving to these Jews, while they're out way before it was offered to the Gentile, but now he's talking to a group of them, and he said, man, I promise was to you too. 
You are a part of it. As we get ready to close, I want to close like this. The band could come now. I want to close like this. As we're getting ready to go into communion, here's the things I want you to be thinking about on your heart and on your mind in context to, to all of this, in context to the story that we are united together in, in context to the, the mission and the plan that we are brought together in, in context to how God is working all these things. Know this. Communion acknowledges the union. Communion acknowledges the union. In the moment that you are acknowledging the union, you are also simultaneously acknowledging the guarantee. Communion says, Lord, I'm in fellowship with you when I know that you are living inside of me and you've given me a down payment of the inheritance where I get the fellowship with you for eternity with unlimited riches that just surround you as a benefit. And I've been included inside of it. So every single time I take communion, I'm acknowledging this reality. I want to encourage you today to live in the hope of this fulfilled promise. Knowing that it's a faithful God that we serve. A good God that we serve. Man, before you take your communion, if you spend some time praying and it's after the Lord to show you. Like, here's the question. What difference does knowing you are to receive God's inheritance in full make in your life? How does your life change by that? You see, there's a, there's a way that you act when that one person says, I'm going to give that thing to you, right? And you know you can't trust a word he say. And there's a, there's a certain way that you act, right? And there's a certain way that you act when that person says, I'm going to give you that thing. And you know you could trust every word he says. There's a rest. There's a, I don't got to worry about that. The other dude over here, you start playing in plan B. Like, he's lightning, not going to give it to me. And if he does, I'll be surprised, right? But this one right here, you can rest in that. My challenge for you as you, as you pray today is to ask yourself, how does my life look like I anticipate and I wait with assurance that the fullness of the promise will be mine and I'm living right now with a down payment inside of me? How is that down payment displayed to others as a, as a way to say, your family, come join the fam. I'm living it out. Here's the down payment. Come get yours, homie. How are you doing that? How are you walking inside of that? Or are you walking like you don't even believe it's true? This is what I ask you to pray and linger on. And then let's come to the table. Let's sup together and let's worship together as family. The bread is his body broken for you, for what I'm talking about this morning. The blood represented by the juice that flows for you. And as you come to the table, communion acknowledges the union brings to mind the guarantee. Man, let's break bread together. Let's worship. If you're new to all of this and you're like, man, I want to be a part of the family, 
Man, we want to welcome you in. I'll chill over there for a second so we can talk. In the meanwhile, let's break bread together and worship our king. The tables are open. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.